0: Welcome to Life on Earth, welcome to Life on Earth, welcome to Life on Earth. I don't know, is it narcissistic for me to be into my own groove? Hello, you good people. Welcome to Life on Earth, a show about life on Earth. You know, I said as an introduction, and you'll recognize this from yesterday's show with James Valiant. In 1974, Ayn Rand spoke to the graduates at West Point Naval Academy. And she said, among other things that her purpose in giving the talk, philosophy, who needs it, was to sell them on philosophy in general, but also her philosophy in particular. She said, formally, I call it objectivism, but informally, I call it a philosophy for living on earth. And I have said, well, if that's true, if objectivism really is the owner's manual for life, the first fully accurate and up-to-date owner's manual of life, there have been many after all then it stands to reason that objectivists, other things being equal, should be among the most happy, the most successful, the most benevolent, gracious, charitable, and kind, and strong, and all-out sexy people on earth. James and I talked about that yesterday, and if you've ever questioned the premise of this show, that introduction, you should listen to that show. But another application of that very fact of reality is the fact that love conquers all. Now, some of you watch the Sunday shows that I do with the delightful Amy Nacer, and we did a show called Love Conquers All. We touched on it a bit, but mostly we just had our usual Sunday night fun. And afterward, I thought, you know, I really didn't justify that. I really didn't prove that point. I really didn't put it out there in the way that I kind of wanted to when I named the show. And then I realized, no, what I've got to do is do that during life on earth. See, love does conquer all. If man's life is the standard of value, your life, you, person I'm talking to right now, if your life is the standard of value, if values have primacy, and we live in a benevolent universe, does it stand to reason
1: that the good always wins? Uh, The short answer is yes, but the full answer is
0: yes, but. And knowing the answer and knowing the buts is crucial to achieving success and happiness. And so today, I will cover examples with valuable, crucial insights, powerful insights, takeaways that you can put to work or at least have some fun with. And I will steal examples from fiction, particularly Ayn Rand's fiction, and nonfiction and reality. But there will be actionable takeaways. Now in preparation for an upcoming interview. Yes, I'm going Amy and I are going to be interviewed. I was asked, in five words or less, how would you describe your philosophy? Now there's a fun one and some of my favorite people are already in the chat. Feel free to answer in the chat. In five words or less, how would you describe your philosophy? Now it would have been easy to answer objectivism, the philosophy of Ayn Rand. But a that's six words and b the interviewer was looking for an answer not just in my own words but in my own style my own spirit my sense of life so the real answer to what is your philosophy in five words or less the real answer is values are primary i have two words left over should do something creative with those but seriously Values are primary. The primacy and potency of love, of the good, of values. You know, what is love? Ayn Rand. According to Ayn Rand, to love is to value. So, in one sense, in what sense, in what ways does love conquer all? In the sense of the primacy and the potency of values. The primacy of values means values. Values have
1: substance, and values merit and demand our primary consideration. From Atlas Shrugged, a quote, joy
0: is not the absence of pain. Intelligence is not the absence of stupidity. Light is not the absence of darkness and entity is not the absence of a non-entity. Building is not done by abstaining from demolition. Centuries of sitting and waiting in such abstinence will not raise one single girder for you to abstain from demolishing. (laughs) Oh, Robin Aaron. Uh, Robin in the chat says, what is love, baby, don't hurt me. You know I'm going to be using that expression. And I knew that, Somebody would respond with that. And Robin, of course, is often first with the responses you expect. Now, what I have here is half of a letter size sheet of paper. Now, you in the UK would probably be using an A11 for this. And I don't know if your creation would be flight worthy with A11. I don't know how paper airplanes work in the UK. And I guess the principles are probably the same. This usual paper airplane jet looks kind of like a Concorde. Maybe I should send this to Boom Supersonics and see if I can help them with the design of the uh, replacement for the Concorde they're putting together. So there we go. There is my paper airplane. And it didn't take much effort. It took some and a little bit of experience in how to do them so they actually fly. Isn't that a beauty, one paper airplane? Now, the next thing you can do with this paper airplane, you can see how well it fly. Or you could just do this, and you crumple the paper airplane because it's even easier to destroy a paper airplane than it is to build one i take another sheet of paper here.
1: And I'm going to refrain from destroying this airplane. And and nothing's happening yet.
0: Somehow, just by virtue of not destroying one, it's not bringing the airplane into being. I think we all understood that quote from Alice Shrugged, but I can't resist making it play out. Because although we all understand what Ayn Rand, what John Galt is saying building is not done by abstaining from demolition. Centuries of sitting and waiting for in such abstinence will not raise one single girder for you to abstain from demolishing. We don't, or no, I'll say I don't always remember that fact. You know, the positive version of this, I'll go to the Fountainhead. We have Howard Rourke talking to Gail Winant. He says, look, Gail, and then Rourke got up, reached out, tore a thick branch off a tree, held it in both hands. One fist clenched at each end. And then his wrists and knuckles tensed against the resistance. He bent the branch slowly into an arc. Now I can make of it what I want. A bow, a spear, a cane, a railing. That's the meaning of life. And Gil will line in response. Your strength, your work. He tossed the branch aside. The material
1: the earth offers you and what you make of it. When I say values are primary, you
0: are here to live a life, not merely to not die. And that means living your values, living what you love. Because identifying your values is crucially important, all too many of us We don't know what we want, what we need, what we love. But just appreciating your values, you know, passively enjoying and consuming your favorite food or music or places, your your families, your peers, your neighbors, your home, your hobbies, your possessions, your friends and lovers. Just enjoying your values is only half of the equation
1: or less. The real pleasure and joy and the real happiness comes
0: from engaging, doing, at the highest level. And that means taking action, exercising your virtues, creation, production, making your values happen. Not merely consuming, but creating, producing, reshaping, making the life you want to live and reshaping your world into the world you want by making happen the things you want to see happen. And you and I, we can do this. I know because we already do to one degree or another. Now, some of my peers and sometimes even the guy I see in the bathroom mirror find themselves distracted from exercising their virtues. They, or we, fall victim to our own weaknesses, distracted by the news of the day, and especially the bad news of the day, the kind of news which makes you question the efficacy, the potency of the
1: good, of values, of that which you love. I know people, I know people who watch
0: cable news, a lot of cable news, and whether their particular poison is CNN or Fox News, MSNBC or CSN, they regard it as an act of evasion to not keep up with every news story, an act of evasion not to keep up with the politics of the day. And if this is you, or if you just feel this pull, or if you just want to better understand that claim, consider this. I know what happens in politics does impact the state of the country. And it has many peripheral, peripheral effects on our lives. From the state of the economy, to the possibility of war to the many taxes fees regulations prohibitions restrictions trickle down effects effects on culture broadly and education in particular so there is a reason to keep up with the headlines to some degree in order to know what's going on in the world your world this is your world but beyond the headlines and stories that relate directly to your specific career and interests. The vast majority of the news has very little impact on your life. And that remaining small percent, there is very little you can do about the vast majority of that. It is rational to keep up with the headlines to keep up with headline news, and to take action wherever possible to capitalize on the good and protect yourself from the bad. But beyond that, you tell me, which is the actual act of evasion? To have a basic awareness and knowledge of headline news, trends, and developments, taking action where possible, but then Focusing the majority of your precious time, your finite energy, and your personal capital
1: on the other things, on real life, or watching the news
0: or YouTube videos about the news for hours on end every day, becoming more and more angry or depressed or both engaging in endless arguments and flame wars with no real impact, feeling helpless, hopeless, disappointed, and disgusted.
1: You tell me which of those two is evasion. Evasion of the facts of reality which is reality, which has primacy, the things you hate or the things you love. Again,
0: joy is not the absence of pain. Intelligence is not the absence of stupidity. Light is not the absence of darkness. An entity is not the absence of a non-entity. Building is not done by abstaining from demolition. Centuries of sitting and waiting in such abstinence will not raise one single girder for you to abstain from demolishing. I know we read that in Atlas Shrugged and thought, ooh, that says something about politics. No, it doesn't. Or rather, it says something much broader than about politics. So if values,
1: love, has primacy, well, how much should you focus on threats to your values? Well, there's no percentage. There's no number that anyone can determine for you.
0: But I do believe that you should decide and in advance what your balance will be and then live that balance intentionally so you never get caught up in things. Now, in my case, for years, I've declared that it's 97.3. Here, I posted this. Just over 10 years ago, well before I ever thought about having a podcast or or preaching to my own choir, life is short, time is precious, and 97% or more of your focus should be on values, on the positive, the joyous, the fun, the passionate, that is on living. And the other 3% should be spent on taking action against the negative, not on bemoaning evil, but on doing something about it improving your home and personal security, purchasing insurance and other protections, giving cash and support to organizations fighting in your name, writing the occasional letter or making the occasional phone call to your representatives and media.
1: So that's the primacy of values. But love conquers all, implies
0: not just the primacy but the potency of values. <clears throat> now, how can I say, uh, how can you believe that love conquers all when there seem to be so many counterexamples in culture, in politics,
1: in life? Well, for data, I will start with the ever-growing Benevolence Bookshelf. Recommended texts
0: on progress, abundance, the triumph of reason and virtue. Optimism is Realism. This is a that I published to my substack. It's also on my Facebook feed, facebook.com slash Robert Naser. And there's a link on my Twitter feed. You can find it anywhere you can find me. But I need to explain that one. And before I do, thanks for watching. Thank you for enjoying this fine show on the Ayn Rand Center UK channel. If you're not already a member, well, you know what to do. There's a link in the chat. You click on it. It takes you in. Click be a member at the top or go right to the membership page. Sign up for 10 pounds a month. Not only can you support the Ayn Rand Center UK, and that's certainly reason enough to do it, but it will give you access to some perks you don't have otherwise. In fact, one of my very favorite lectures by Leonard Peacock, my 30 years with Ayn Rand, is, is going to be part of the Sunday morning study groups that are run by James Valiant this weekend. Sign up. You can be part of that great fun. We're also doing the Ayn Rand Fiction Book Club, which is why I'm using examples from The Fountainhead, as well as Atlas Shrugged. We are studying my favorite book, The Fountainhead by Ayn Rand. Become a member. You get access to all that good stuff and much more. And again, the most important part is you support the channel, including programs like this very fine one that is coming in your ear right now. So again, I have shared... The ever-growing Benevolence Bookshelf recommended texts on progress, abundance, the triumph of reason and virtue, optimism is realism, on my wall. There have been nearly previously inconceivable improvements in the standard of living over the course of hundreds of years, but even recently, and maybe especially recently, increases in overall safety and security our lifespan and our so-called health span, the number of years, not just that we live, but that we live well. You know, years of healthy living, what what was once old, like, I'll be... I won't even say old I'm going to be. I am at an age now where when people were that age and I was a kid, I thought they were old. and a lot of them were, you know, they were just slow, worn out, spent a lot of time in an easy chair, uh, gray-haired, not that active. Not everybody. I mean, some people grew older and stayed active. But nowadays, that's the norm. We just expect when you hit 50, 60, 70 years old, you're still living. It's a beautiful thing. You know, what was once old is now just kind of called later life. Increases in safety, security, prosperity, incomes, poverty levels just below 10% worldwide now, which even 20 years ago was inconceivable. Now, I know, and it's real, that despite all of that, it's very easy and reasonable to look at modern politics and modern art and political correctness that has evolved into wokeness and many other trends. And think, well, sure, reason and self-assertion, knowledge and progress have gotten us this far, but now things are really bad and we're in decline So again, I ask, what's the reality? Feel free to answer that question with a super chat. Now we've got people clicking to sign up for memberships, but you can also hit that dollar sign in the chat. Make your questions stand out. I'm saying so much it's hard for me to keep up with the chat, although there's been some great comments in there. And thank you for that. I don't travel a lot, but I get out of town several times a year. The uh, Last time I was in Chicago, I looked up and I was surprised to see new skyscrapers being built. And I shouldn't have been surprised. Um, I look at New York City. I look at New York City from the dock side, from the west side of the island. It's, it's unrecognizable. The south side of Central Park. Where did those buildings? Some of those buildings don't even look like they could stand. They're just Amazing you know but even more startlingly you've you've got skyscrapers around the world you know whatever we think of the politics and the compromises involved in china or dubai uh, the actual economic progress in countries like india and china uh, what's happening for the poorest people in those countries is amazing considering There's still a substantial amount of state control in those countries. And China, unfortunately, is moving in the wrong direction. It's amazing how much success they've had. Some of these new modern cities are unbelievable. And uh, sometimes I look at photographs and think, well, they kind of put some of our old great cities to shame. And even in the case of modern art, you know, I walk through the Detroit Institute of Arts. We broadcast from Motown, the Motor City And I see the classics from 100, 200, 400 years ago. And these remain a big draw. These are the pictures everybody looks at. They have power, staying power. 100 years from now, there may be some new version of the modern art wing that's there, filled with whatever the latest nonsense is. And people will look at it and go ooh and ah or pretend to ooh and ah. But whatever the latest nonsense is, the Van Goghs and the Bouguereau, they will still be there. Love conquers all. Values sustain because destruction doesn't create anything. Values are primary. I have to read an excerpt from the Yarenbrook show. I just heard this just before the show, but I couldn't resist bringing up the transcript on it. Uh, So October 4th, 2022, the topics, Elon Musk on a roll, Italy and Brazil elections. And in a super chat question, um, super chat, where's my super chats? I want to see some money. Come on, people. We're money. We're all about money. I need to read Francisco's money speech on the show. Somebody give me a super chat. It doesn't come to me. It comes to the Ayn Rand Center UK, and that's even better than if it came to me because I'm an objectivist. I'm independently wealthy, of course, but. On the Arnbrook show, a super chatter asked, I often hear people say, well, Hitler could have won in yeah, World War II. In the sense, it was just, well, it was luck that the Allies won. And then Michael goes on to ask, would you say because of the nature of a collectivist system, it has a 0% chance of ever beating a freer country in the long run? Ah, Apollo Zeus made it happen. Boom. Often first in the chat. Now he's first in the super chat. You rock, sir. Thank you for that. Anybody else wants to come on board? You'll get a bit of this too. So Yaron answered this. He said, When you think about all the mistakes Hitler made, and people say, yeah, if he hadn't opened a second front, if he hadn't made this mistake, that mistake. But that's the point of authoritarianism. That's the point of authoritarians. They make mistakes, they're idiots. They don't have a standard. So yeah, because they're delusional, by the very nature, they're delusional to think that they can run the world. They're delusional to think that they're a superior race. They're delusional to think that the Germans can win on two fronts. What's the difference? Once you're delusional, it's just a question of time before
1: you lose. And that's exactly right. Evil is not efficacious.
0: It can be powerful to the extent that it destroys the good and leeches off of it. But all of that power comes from the creators. Now, you might think that, oh, that doesn't make any difference if they're destroying me. I don't care how weak they are. But that's why they have to fail in the end. It can take a lifetime for them to fail, but they never, ever have primacy. And in the context of your own individual life, Primacy isn't something they can take. It's something that you must give. It's why in objectivism we say evil is impotent. Now, yesterday during our episode of Peak Off Wednesdays with James Valiant, I got to touch on the topic of deep abiding happiness, the unique peace of mind of Ayn Rand's character, Howard Rourke, in her novel, The Fountainhead. Incidentally, equal to reality is in for two pounds in the super chat. Thank you for that. And Daniel Krauss has been a member for six months. Well, I certainly hope so. <laughs> so uh, we're discussing some of those same scenes from the Fountainhead in the, in the Ayn Rand Fiction Book Club that you can be part of on Tuesdays. I was going to say Tuesday afternoon, if you're in Europe, Tuesday evenings. We're on part one, chapter 14. So after Howard Rourke has had his first couple su- commissions, his first successes, He continues to face the same obstacles he has all along. People don't want to think firsthand about first-handed designs. They want to follow. They want to be safe and stale. So Here's a quote from the book. He passed by buildings under construction. He stopped to look at the steel cages. He felt at times as if the beams and girders were shaping themselves not into a house, but into a barricade to stop him. And the few steps on the sidewalk that separated him from the wooden fence enclosing the construction were steps he would never be able to take. It was pain, but it was a blunted, unpenetrating pain. It's true, he would tell himself. It's not, his body would answer. The strange, untouchable, healthiness of his body it was pain but it was an unblunted unpenetrating pain
1: some of you will know later in the book it's a pain that only goes down to a certain point
0: so what is that strange untouchable healthiness of his body in objectivism the philosophy of Ayn Rand dr leonard peakoff writes Consider here a moral man who has not yet reached professional or romantic fulfillment, an Ayn Rand hero, say like Galt or Rourke, at the point where he is alone, against the world, barred from his work, destitute. In existential terms, such a man has not, quote, achieved his values, unquote. He is beset by problems and difficulties. Nevertheless, if he is an Ayn Rand hero, he is confident, at peace with himself, serene. He is a happy person even when living through an unhappy period. He does experience deprivation, frustration, pain, but in Ayn Rand's memorable phrase, it is pain that only goes down to a certain point, beneath which are the crucial attributes that such man has built into his soul, reason, purpose, self-esteem. A man of this kind has achieved his values, not his existential values, but the philosophical values that are their precondition. He has achieved, not success, but the ability to succeed, the right relationship to reality. The emotional leitmotif of such a person is a unique and enduring form of pleasure, the pleasure that derives from the sheer fact of a man's being alive I have to interrupt the quote for a moment there. And I always think of Catherine Hepburn, who said, I never forget the fact that just being is fun. There's somebody who gets it. Finishing with a quote from Opar: If he is a man who feels able to live, we may describe this emotion as metaphysical pleasure, in contrast to the more specific pleasures of work, friendship, and the rest. Metaphysical pleasure does not erase the pains incident to daily life, but By providing a positively toned context for them, it does blunt them. In the same manner, it intensifies one's daily pleasures. And, that's a close quote there, and from My 30 Years with Ayn Rand, which members of the Ayn Rand Center UK will have the opportunity to study this Sunday morning with James Valiant. Leonard Peikoff, one more time, a short one. And he's talking about, Uh, being with Ayn Rand, we were walking up Madison Avenue toward the office of Random House, which was in the process of bringing out Atlas Shrugged. She was looking at the city she had always loved most, and now, after decades of rejection and bitter poverty, she had seen the top publishers in that city competing for what she knew triumphantly was her masterpiece. She turned to me and said, don't ever give up what you want in life. The struggle is worth it. I never forgot that. I can still see the look of quiet radiance on her face. Close quote.
1: The struggle is worth it. Worth it. Worth what? It's worth the effort. It's worth the work, worth what you do, worth what you create, worth what you produce.
0: But what's the it? The it is that state of mind of being efficacious, of being right for the world, of being at peace, of
1: knowing that you are good. In that sense, you have conquered all.
0: Now, I want to wrap up this discussion of values of love by circling around to discuss romantic love. And I want to include love for your friends, your family, your peers, or love in general. And just for fun, I've got some quotes by Ayn Rand and Robert A. Heinlein. And I know that Robert Heinlein was an Ayn Rand fan, but I also can't think he was more than a fan. He had to have been influenced by her. Consider these two quotes. First from Ayn Rand, like any other value, love is not a static quantity to be
1: divided, but an unlimited response to be earned. Okay, from Robert Heinlein, the more you love, the more you
0: can love and the more intensely you love, nor is there a limit to how many you can love. If a person had time enough he could love all of that majority
1: who are decent and just. Again, Ayn Rand, like any other value, love is not a static
0: quantity to be divided, but an unlimited response to be earned. And Heinlein, the more you love, the more you can love, and the more intensely you love. Nor is there a limit to how many you can love. If a person had time enough, He could love all of that majority who are decent and just. And then two short ones here from Ayn Rand. A selfless, disinterested love. She puts selfless and disinterested in scare quotes, as she should. A selfless, disinterested love is a contradiction in terms. It means that one is indifferent to that which one values. Selfless, disinterested love is a contradiction in terms. It means that that one is indifferent to that which one values. So what would the flip side of that be from Robert Heinlein? Love is that condition in which the happiness of another person
1: is essential to your own. And finally, in a post I wrote 10 years ago, Yes, it really is, still, all about love. Values have primacy.
0: If your attention is primarily given to people and things that bring you pleasure, joy, happiness, you are directing your focus well. If your attention is primarily on disvalues... Reconsider your priorities. It is an understatement, bordering on absurdity, to state that there are more values than threats in the world. This is metaphysically necessarily true. Otherwise, we would all be dead. Curiously, I need to remind myself of this every now and then. And I know I'm not alone in this regard. But yes, it really is still all
1: about love. Love conquers all. That is what you're here for. You are not a means to an end. You. You and whatever the forms of your happiness, you are the end. Now, get out there and conquer all. And as always, I thank you and I wish you a
0: magnificent life on earth.